Passion, analysis, hot takes. Welcome to Political Football. And now, your hosts, Clee, Dave, and Matias. Well, that's sort of true. Um, welcome back to another episode of Political Football. Generally speaking, you hear a much older sounding voice at the beginning of our episodes. However, uh, Cleve is out getting his osteoporosis taken care of, so he is not able to join us today. Um, actually, in all fairness, he's doing his civic duty uh, and getting the vaccine, so good for Cleve. But you do have myself, Matty Ice, and you have Dave, and we're going to try to get you through something a little bit different today. Um, not much has happened in the football world, at least from an interesting perspective, but I think we got some fun stuff. So, Dave, how you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Shout out to Cleve for going to get his vaccine. This is the second dose, and you're right. That's a civic duty. That's what everybody's got to do. So I'm yeah. proud of him for doing that. And, um, you know, I'm just surprised it took him this long because people over 65 have been eligible for a long time. Yeah, I tried to tell him that uh, months ago that he was eligible, like last December when they first rolled it out, since he's in that trouble group that can, uh, you know, die really quickly because he's so old. Uh, but, you know, he uh, felt like he was throwing some caution to the wind. So, um, you know, good for him. Uh, we're going to miss him on this episode, but uh, the best thing about having not having him here is we can uh, take some old man shots at him, and he won't get to hear it until we publish the episode. Yes, but he is also our personal trainer, so he can still punish us when he hears it later. So uh, He can, um, and we'll, he and I will be back to sparring real soon, so if he wants to take it up with me, he knows where to find me. Um, <laughs> so that'll be some fun. So, uh, Dave, we were, we were talking offline a little bit about um, the, the New York Knicks. So this is normally a football podcast, but we're going to spread it off into some sports. But um, I got me to thinking, I took a huge shot at the Knicks. So if you're listening and you're from New York and you're a Knicks fan, I apologize. But I think the take that the NBA is more relevant when the Knicks are good is completely absurd. Um, it, in my mind, uh, it just it just sounds ludicrous. And the fact that the Knicks have made the playoffs for the first time in 11 years apparently earns them this type of arrogance that I've never seen out of a fan base before. And so it got me to thinking, Dave, about delusional fan bases. Now, when I say that, like what comes to mind when you think of it? Like if I call a fan base delusional, like what do you think of? So when I think of a delusional fan base, I think of it going one of two ways uh, initially. So the first is fan bases that win all the time, but always think the sky is falling. Okay, that's fair. Patriots. Um, and then fan bases who expect their team to always be good for like reasons that don't matter, either historical reasons or something else, Michigan, right? Okay. So there's like, that's what I think of either teams that are good and think everything is bad or teams that aren't good, but think that they should be like, it's the oh. right. I think that's a, that's actually fair. Now, when I think about it, I think of fan bases that um, I think it really speaks to your second point, but I think of it as like they expect to be good, but they haven't had a period of relevancy in a really long time. Mm -hmm. And they still carry around, and I'm not using this word as a shot at Michigan, but like they carry around an arrogance to them that is seemingly unearned because they have been, and I don't think Michigan is one of them, by the way, because at least they've had success recently. They haven't won a national title. But when I think of the delusional fan bases, I think of them, the ones that haven't even been in the spotlight for any significant period of time. And yet they still carry themselves and the media carries them as this entity that needs to be respected because of something that they did a billion years ago, like before Cleve was born. So, uh, <laughs> so I kind of wanted to talk about uh, delusional fan bases. You can stick to football if you want to do football and college football. 
or you can stick to any sport but i wanted to hear i wanted to do a little bit of a back and forth maybe throw some around and discuss some that maybe come to your mind and come to my mind sure sounds good oh and by the way i'm going to give up the ghost for the audience here i do not know the topics ahead of time this week normally i come up with most of them and then we discuss ahead of time this week uh matt was like hey we're going to talk about some stuff and i'm like all right so my list is going to be completely off the top of my head here so my apologies if i leave some obvious ones out so is mine i did not pre-prepare for this basically what you're experiencing now is what cleveland goes through on cowboy season <laughs> okay excellent so for the first my first when you said come up with a delusional fan base sure. even though it's not the most popular sport the one that just came to mind the fastest is the toronto maple leafs okay that's fair just just completely irrational completely insane um the entire country canada hasn't won the stanley cup since 1993 i don't think the maple leafs have won once it's like 1960 something or another it's they always think they're gonna be good yeah and the thing is like they thought they were gonna be good in the early 90s they thought they were gonna be good in the late 90s like they thought they were gonna be in the 2000s they're decent now but like they they talk like they're the bruins or the blackhawks or the red wings that they have all these titles recently and they're not they're not good nobody cares about them the entire country canada hates them outside of toronto nobody in the united states cares about the maple leafs you know so to me they're the most delusional fan base they think they're the yankees when really they're the washington generals so would you say that they are like are they the the one of the original six who has had the longest stanley cup drought i feel like that's true Yes, they have, they have to have been because Detroit, Boston, Chicago have all won recently, Montreal in 93, the Rangers in 94. So, yeah, it would be the okay. Maple Leafs. So, yeah, it's been a long time. That's actually a good one. That's not one that I thought of, but now that you mention it, since playoff hockey is upon us now, um, it's a really good entry. But uh, you're a hockey guy. You played hockey when you were younger, right? Like were you, high school, college? No, no, no. So I, I actually never played a lot of ice hockey, a lot of roller oh. hockey in the street, a lot right. of hockey, but huge following hockey especially when i was young because the red wings being dominant coincided with my childhood so yes um, so i i mean i like hockey i don't follow it religiously um but who would you say is the team of canada uh so canada's team is oh man honestly this is going to be this is a very much like a soccer situation where the only mm -hmm. team all canada can get behind is the national team and in international competition world championships olympics stuff like that because nobody outside montreal likes montreal nobody outside toronto likes toronto like the winnipeg jets like don't matter um <laughs> you know people on the east coast don't like vancouver um edmonton and calgary the rest of canada is like alberta it's like it's backwards place like i don't know alabama here so like no team in Canada can really get behind a team, a team in Canada. So I would say that the only way that they really come together for that is their national team, not their franchises. So would you say that for the Maple Leafs, their organization has run poorly and that's why they've not been able to break over this hump? Because obviously, like so many teams have won the Stanley Cup since and it's been such a long time that you'd think that at some point they would break through is it the arrogance of the front office and the fans that sort of like is a combination of their lack of success or do you think it's just that they've had bad luck so i think that this happens uh in a lot of cases where fan bases can actually drive poor decision making by franchises which then continues to cycle and i don't know enough about the maple leafs specifically to say this but i do know that like there's no reason they should go 50 years without winning a stanley cup um 
So an example that's happened here recently uh, is with the Philadelphia Eagles. So mm-hmm. last year in the draft, the Eagles fans really wanted Justin Jefferson. The front office took Jalen Rager, one pick before Jefferson, both wide receivers, same position. Jefferson wins Offensive Rookie of the Year. Eagles fans are just coming for the front office this year. And so the Eagles trade up to draft Devontae Smith, who's basically the same thing as Jalen Rager, but a little bit smaller. And it's pretty clear that without the hatred from the fans for them screwing up the last wide receiver, they wouldn't have done this. So I would not be shocked to find out there's something in Toronto where the insanity and expectations of the fan base keep driving the front office to make these awful circular logic decisions that prevent them from ever getting where they need to be. So if they won a Stanley Cup, do you think that it would cause them to be in the first category of delusional fan bases you talked about, where they would all of a sudden their arrogance would shoot up and then they would think would the expectations be too high and they would think that the sky is falling? Or do you think that they would be insufferable because their arrogance would go up and that would be it? I don't think one Stanley Cup can do that. I don't think one title and anything can do that besides maybe college football, because because unless you're one of the top four, it's hard to do. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, if they win three Stanley Cups in the next eight years and they will immediately become become that group. I mean, the Bruins did it. The Bruins mm-hmm. were downtrodden forever, won a couple mm-hmm. Stanley Cups and joined the Patriots. I mean, this is the same, same group of people, right? So yes. I think the Maple Leafs would, would do the do the same thing. And that the funny part is in Boston, uh, it was not a Bruins town at all. Whereas I feel like in Toronto, it's still a, very much a Maple Leafs town. Well, yeah, it's certainly not a not a Blue Jays town Blue or a Toronto Argonauts town. So, especially since they're playing in Buffalo, anyway. Um, so, when I think of delusional fan bases, I immediately go to college athletics and basketball and football, and I think of UCLA uh, okay. as being as being on that list. Uh, certainly in basketball, I think they're holding on to you know the John Wooden years as if they happened at any time recently. They've had one or two blips of success here or there, but they really haven't uh, amounted to a whole lot, and nothing that at least matches or comes anywhere close to matching that and in football god it's been they haven't been relevant since what Cade McNown they weren't even that relevant then not even but you know what I mean like there's yeah. there because I, I know a yeah. few people who go to UCLA and they still think that they are like the preeminent program in both football and basketball and when you look at recent history w- what is there that would justify that feeling yeah I think I think that the two sports for UCLA are very different UCLA football is basically Iowa football like you're good, but you're never great. And like every 15 years, maybe you get ranked inside the top five. Um, you know, UCLA football, they get a lot of good players because they're in Los Angeles. And so they, but they've had a lot of bad coaches in a row. So they haven't been able to develop that talent very well. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that, that to me is a little bit different, but I think a lot of the football feeling at UCLA comes from the basketball side. And while they're not going to have the John Wooden stuff anymore, the John Wooden stuff, is certainly incredible they won what like 11 in a row or eight out of nine or something ridiculous uh so that was like the 60s and 70s and then they won again in 95 with mm-hmm. that o'bannon yep um and then they were they were beat twice either in the final four of the title game by the joe kim noah Corey brewer florida gators in the okay. mid-2000s when they okay. had russell Westbrook. yeah so oh. like and then this year they make the final four again after beating Michigan in the elite eight. So it's like every, like since, since they make the final four every 10 years, I can understand why in the, in between 10 years, they're like, how come we're just not better? Yeah. Right. Why do we ever suck? 
Um, so I actually understand the basketball side a little bit more, and I think it bleeds into the football side. But you're right. Usually football is completely useless. It has never mattered ever. Yeah, I would agree. It's just I maybe it's a personal bias of mine because I know some people that went there, and they talk about it, like I said, as if they've been relevant. And what's funny about that is they talk about USC as if USC hasn't been relevant, but yet, you know, USC has kind of been up there, at least in this this particular century. Uh, maybe not since Pete Carroll left, but I think you get the idea. Well, um, they've still been better than UCLA since Pete Carroll left, and USC is the dominant football mm-hmm. program in Los Angeles, and it's not even close. Oh, I agree. So that was that, that was a team that came to mind. So what, what else for you? So delusional fan bases for me as well would include Notre Dame uh, for football. That's on my list too. Yeah, and the thing is that Notre Dame's delusion is 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 rare in that they're rarely that awful. And if they are that awful, it's always like a one-year blip, and then they're back to winning eight or nine games. But in football, like in college football, if you don't belong to a conference, you're not really playing for anything except for a national championship. And so if you aren't able to win the national championship, you really aren't able to achieve any of your goals. And therefore, Notre Dame, it has not been able to achieve any of its goals in 30 years, 25 years. I mean, it's been a long time because, you know, if you put Notre Dame in the Big Ten and you said, can Notre Dame win the Big Ten? I'd be like, yeah, probably. But if you're like, are they going to beat Clemson, Alabama, Ohio State, Oklahoma consistently year after year to compete for national title? The answer is no. They made it to play Alabama in the national title game. They got smoked. Eddie Lacy ran for like 500 yards and nine touchdowns. And then they uh, play Clemson in the playoff and get absolutely destroyed by Trevor Lawrence because they're not on that level. So to me, their delusion is that they think that they're good when they aren't because they, they is a good program. It's that they will never, ever, ever, ever be able to win anything because the only thing they can win is a national title. And it's just not going to happen without some huge restructuring in college football that would probably involve Notre Dame coming to the Big Ten in the first place. Right. How much of that um, that delusion comes from, obviously, having been a long time since they won a national title? What was it? When, when was the last time they won a national title? 88. Okay. So it's been, I was five. Cleve <laughs> uh, <laughs> was thir- 30. Um, so it's been a long time. But how much of, do you think that ire comes from, one, not being in a conference, which I have to assume is driven mostly by money at this point, right? I mean, mm-hmm. from their perspective, because in, the, well... This past year was a little bit different. They played an ACC schedule, which was obviously completely ass, and um, they were able to sneak into the playoff. Yes, they beat Clemson. They beat him without Trevor Lawrence, so I guess you could make that argument. But when they played Clemson at full strength, um, wait, no, they played Alabama, didn't they? Or no, no, no. I'm sorry. They played Clemson in the ACC title game and got absolutely right. smoked, right? Exactly. And then they played, and then they played Alabama, and again got completely outclassed. And I end up finding is that when they when they get into the playoff or when they make the title game or something like that, most people feel like it's unearned because they haven't gone through the same criteria that a lot of these right. other schools have to go to. But yet right. their fan base comes out as if they've won a national title in the last 10 years. And they always go back to like, well, look at look at all these national titles we won back in the day. And it's like, well, they, they had just invented the forward pass when you were winning <laughs> some of those. So like how relevant is that now? And I, I agree with you. That was one that came to mind. Actually, most of mine end up being colleges, but that's another story entirely. But uh, Notre Dame definitely was on my list. And I think, too, how much of that comes from people who go, have gone there that aren't sports people, but they 
because it's a institution of higher learning that's obviously you know renowned in this country that that some of that bleeds into it yeah no i think that's a huge part of it and like i said i think notre dame is a little bit different from the maple leafs in that notre dame is actually good and there are uh you know i love my metrics there are metrics you can look at that show that notre dame is one of the teams year in and year out that has the ability to win a national championship but like Michigan, Oregon, and Texas A&M are always on that list too, and none of us are winning either, you know. So, you know, they're they're not delusional in thinking that their team is bad. They're delusional in thinking their team can compete with the best. But every year, like they will go ten and two, and the Notre Dame people I know will like freak out at the two losses, and it's like, well, what did you expect? Like this, that's that is your ceiling. That's all, that's yeah. all. That's all you're gonna be. I agree. Um, I was going to take a shot at my own region, but I assume it's going to be on your list later. So I'll leave that one to you. Um, but I don't know to me and maybe Cleve would completely disagree with me. Uh, do you feel like the Jets are a delusional fan base and that they think they're going to be good every time something comes around, but yet year after year, it seems to fail. That's one I was kind of like iffy on. I think, oh man, this is this, this, okay. I don't want to get in trouble. No, you won't. Based on representations in popular culture mm-hmm. in the few people I know I think Northern Jersey is a delusional region of the country okay just in general like like Real Housewives of New Jersey um just anything from the air, Jersey Shore having been to Atlantic City which I think is more central like mm-hmm. it just seems like how to put this it seems like a very enthusiastic in very much loving the things they love culture in that part of the country. And so then it makes sense that like Jets fans or any group that's there, any team that's for that region is going to be just so over the top enthusiastic about anything to do with them. Is this, is what I'm saying making any sense? Yeah. Um, because it's like every year that they have to pick at the top of the draft and they pick a quarterback, it's like, up, oh, this is our guy. So it's like, they've gone through, guy after guy after guy after guy and been like this is the next guy it's going to turn the corner and yet nothing ever comes of it but the only person i met who doesn't really do that is cleave because i feel like he's been um proportionately jaded from all of the years of 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 not success but like it's amazing too because every year like in new england it'd be like oh the jets are going to be a lot better this year and i was like what have they done that would actually prove that like they haven't shown that at all in in 20 years but yet their fans are out there like as if they're the next coming. It's like, oh, this, you know, Joe Namath's going to be out there. And it's like, no, it's not going to be. Like they drafted, what was it? Zach Mettenberg? Is that what what, what, what was the guy's name from Penn State? Mettenberger? Uh, was that what it was? No, Zach Mettenberger no. was from LSU. Uh, oh, okay, right. Uh, Hackenberg. Hackenberg. Christian Hackenberg. Yes. And they're like, oh, that's it. And then he would like never, we never saw him again. So right. I don't know. Like they're. It's good that they have enthusiasm for their team, but I feel as if the enthusiasm bleeds over into thinking that they're going to be good. Like they have bought into hope so much that it's caused them to not really think rationally. And like with the Lions, you don't even do that. Like you look at them and say, all right, I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt that this is going to work, but I've seen the product so many times and I know enough about football to know that it has like a potentially not a high success rate. Yeah, no, I mean, the thing, too, with, with the NFL, though, like, Cleve has it right because the NFL is so fair and it's so easy to turn around and be good within a couple of years that if you're unable to do it consistently, then you actually should, like, 
lose all hope until you are given reason to hope at all. Um, and, but the thing is, Cleve is different than most Jets fans because Cleve wasn't born into it. He moved to this country and chose the Jets as his that's team. An excellent, that's an excellent point. And so he has nobody to blame but himself, and he is definitely just always going to take that personal responsibility, like that you need to be a personal trainer. So, like, he's going to be like, this is my team. I have to own this. I mean, he chose the Jets as his team in 1984. He has seen the Giants win, like, four Super Bowls since he made that decision. Uh, the Dolphins just got Dan Marino at that time, and he was like, this is my squad, and it was just a terrible decision. Uh, worst decision, Cleve picking the Jets in 1984 or every single day that Mark Davis walks out of his house with that haircut? Um, I'm going to say that it's Cleve picking the Jets because I think Mark Davis was born into a world of crazy. And if the only way it manifests is in his terrible spoon haircut, then then good then good for him. Because I feel like if Al Davis is your dad, you should be way more screwed up than just, just a bad haircut. I feel like we can both agree that uh, both are crappy choices, Jets and uh, that haircut. I think I, I think if we offered Cleve, you had to wear that haircut for the rest of your life, but the Jets would win a Super Bowl. Do you think he would take it? Oh, I, I think we need to Photoshop that now for the for the uh, viewing audience because I think that would be incredible. I think we need to make this happen. That's an excellent question. We're going to ask him that next episode because I think we okay. need an answer to it. And I think what we should do is place a wager on it to say, Cleve, if the Jets do win a Super Bowl while this show is on, you have to wear a Mark Davis wig. <laughs> oh, I love it. Some love somewhere, it. somewhere, like it, even if it's us, it, yeah, even no matter what it is, it's like we'll do a live show from like a Buffalo Wild Wings or something, and he has to wear the wig the whole time that we're there. I think that I think that's fair. We'll see if he buys into it. He might, he might not, but I think it'd be hysterical to look at. I love it. I love it. Um, I'm all for it. So I'm I'm thinking about other really like the most delusional fan base. Because the thing is, fan bases are all delusional to some level. That's why they're fans of sports teams in the first place but as i think of like other delusional fan bases texas a&m comes to mind really fast what about like, just what about just texas in general i can't say i can't say texas in general because there are so many schools there that um they're always winning something like baylor just won march madness this year right like they're I, always I, yeah i guess what i mean something. is like university of texas and when i say texas in general it's like okay. i think i think about just like university like the big like the a lot of the biggest schools that haven't won anything like i think of baylor not like they're not top tier but when you think of the like football programs in texas you don't think of baylor first and then the other two like i i would say you probably think of austin and a&m and then some of those schools come after Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. But I think that I don't think any of the other schools are delusional aside from those two. And I'll start with the yeah. Longhorns, the University of Texas. I don't think that delusional in football. I mean, they just won a title with Vince Young in 2006. They made the title game with, with Colt McCoy in 2009. True. Um, and so they've been not as good as they had been, but it's only been about a decade. I mean, I find a lot of uh, um, camaraderie with this with this university actually between Texas and Michigan. Um, so I don't think Texas fans are are delusional. I think their expectations for their program and their university of football match a real recent success that they've had. And, you know, the region of the country, they should be able to recruit top level talent without any problems. Great school. People want to go there, go to Austin who aren't from Texas. Like it's a destination Very place true. for other places. So I think that Texas fans demanding more than they've gotten from their football program recently is actually perfectly reasonable. Texas A&M, on the other hand, Texas A&M has never done anything like 
what's that? Some like 1992, they won a co-title with somebody. Maybe I don't even know. The point is that like Texas A&M is terrible. They think they're great. They like to deny the rivalry with Texas. They leave the Big 12 to go to the SEC. They're trash in the SEC. They like to claim how big their field is. They have like the fourth biggest field in the country. So you know nobody cares. I mentioned like their their cool midnight yell chant thing that they do, which is awesome. So they got that going for them. But like even in terms of that, they treat that tradition as if it's so much more better than any other tradition in college football. And like all the traditions are great. You know, mm-hmm. yours isn't it's not better than dyed in the eye, right? Um or waving at the the sick kids at Iowa. And then they paid the Jimbo Fisher like ten million dollars a year. He's in that John Gruden money. To come mm-hmm. in and do something. Now, to be fair, I do actually have a, a futures bet on AM to win the national championship this year, but that's because the odds were good. They're not going to do it. They can't do it. AM sucks. They sucked in the Big 12. They suck in the SEC. They would suck as an independent. They would suck in the Mountain West. There's just something about that school that just can't quite get over the top. But their fans think they're Oklahoma. They think they're Alabama. So to me, AM is in a class of its own in the state of Texas as far as delusional fan bases go. Speaking of Jimbo Fisher, so he won a national title at Florida State. The ACC stinks. Do you personally feel that him making the jump to Texas A&M was an upgrade? Or do you think it was mostly like financially an upgrade? Because he won a national title in Florida State, which to me would think that he could continue that. But uh, I was just curious because I I remember thinking it was a head scratcher because it didn't seem like that big of a leap, like going from Florida State to some top tier SEC school. It seemed like he was going to a mid-tier SEC school that hadn't even been in the SEC that long. They were just sort of adopted by them. Yeah. I think from Jimbo Fisher's point of view, aside from the huge pay raise to go to Texas A&M, the unique challenge of taking over a program that just joined the SEC and the SEC West at that, and to maybe have a chance to become a Bobby Bowden-type figure at a university, whereas mm-hmm. at Florida State, he's really just glomming on to success of what came what came before him and continued it on with Jameis going to AM where they really haven't won anything in a very long time to you know maybe try to become that I can see why for even though the schools are probably pretty even in terms of resources and stuff like that I can see why to him the challenge of wanting to go to uh Texas AM would be would be enticing um and hopefully his challenge to coaching I don't know the Chargers in three years will be enticing too yeah, the NFL is another interesting one because I feel like there are delusional fan bases, but they're not in the same category as this. I don't know why college seems to always stick out to me, uh, but obviously I feel like the Knicks are one of those now, you know, mainly because I feel as if they have been so bad for so long. They haven't had a sustained period of success. Uh, when is the in the last time they won an NBA final? I don't even know. Uh, it's got to be it's got to be before the 80s because they didn't win in the 80s. They didn't win in the 90s. No. They haven't won this century. So no. it has to be sometime in the 70s at the at the latest. Um, and we weren't alive. So no. Do you I consider that delusional in that like I understand that I think this period of time right now where they just went through the pandemic last year, horrific time period. The Knicks haven't been very good. So I don't blame them for the excitement. But what's great about it is there's a tinge of like, okay, the playoffs are now validated because the Knicks are in the Eastern Conference playoffs. And it's like the Eastern Conference is, I mean, mean, the Eastern Conference isn't as bad as it was, but like the bottom half of the Eastern Conference is 
totally crap compared to the top heavy portion of the and it's always kind of been like that and they're a four seed it's not like they were blowing everybody away they were a four seed and they had to get hot at the end of the year and it just feels very arrogant and then like it's like oh madison square garden i feel like madison square garden is a like a good a good arena but like it's treated as if it's like the first arena that was ever built in this country it's the only one that matters and it's just very the whole thing is very arrogant and i don't know if it's a new york thing or what but i've always felt that way and so when i saw them lose game one in crushing fashion i was like very happy so i agree with you generally about the knicks and the knicks just not even being relevant at all literally nobody outside new york cares about the knicks where i disagree with you is on madison square garden the reason everybody is hyped for the knicks is because madison square garden is awesome Things that happen there are awesome. It is the Mecca. The thing to, to keep in mind is where it's located in the city. Oh, so if you've ever been there, it's just right, right in the middle of stuff. Like it's so awesome. So Madison Square Garden really is is it. My brother's band played at Madison Square Garden a few years ago, and it was like a huge achievement to play Madison Square Garden. So the thing is, I think that the Knicks basketball franchise is trying to like steal some of that, like Shang Tsung taking the soul out of out of Madison Square Garden for themselves. When, like, the Knicks of the 90s suck, too. Patrick Ewing is boring. John Starks was boring. Kiki Vandaway was soft. I'm not going to say anything bad about Charles Oakley ever because I don't want him coming after me. But, like... He will. Yeah, so... But, like, the Knicks of the 90s were boring and a tough watch. But the games were cool because of Madison Square Garden. You had Spike Lee arguing with, with Reggie Miller and then, like, Jordan going for 55 at the Garden. Madison Square Garden is the real deal the knicks just happen to play there they're basically the atlanta hawks but they play at madison square garden nobody cares about the knicks yeah i guess i should clarify like i wasn't trying to say that madison square garden is great but i to me it felt all encompassed and now making this distinction of madison square garden is carrying the knicks on their back yeah exactly uh, makes makes it uh, that that sort of actually makes my argument because i was like I mean, obviously, being a huge uh, wrestling fan, the WWF made their bones at Madison Square Garden, like the first mm -hmm. run, you know, and all that stuff. So there's certainly a lot of history there. I've been there. It is a wonderful venue. So I wasn't trying to say that it's not. It was just the whole picture seems to be a part of the delusion. Um, so I think that's a good list. And we obviously could talk about this for a while. But I wanted to move on to something else that is sort of in the same realm. Uh, okay. rele relevancy. So I also think that there is a difference between being good and being relevant. Like, and that they're, you know, like, you know, what I'm you know what I'm talking about? Where, like, the Dallas Cowboys, to me, don't feel, like, they, are they still relevant? And I wonder to you, like, the Tim Tebow recent stuff we recently talked about. Like, he's, like, the number one selling merchandise guy in the NFL, which is just ridiculous. And I think that, well, to your point a couple weeks ago, is that the Jaguars are trying to be relevant. And mm -hmm. I wonder to myself, like, do you like, do you feel like there's a distinction? Do you think a team can be good but not relevant, and that relevancy is sort of like a sustained period of time where you're in the national conscience, or do you think it's something else? So yeah, you can obviously be relevant and not be good because every team in the NFC East is treated with relevance every single year, and they can't all be good. And last year they were all bad. Um, and they were still talked about and hyped up a lot. So you could definitely be uh, irrelevant um, and good or good but not relevant. Personally, I think relevance is not determined by fans or how good you are. It's determined almost 100% by media. And media will wants to get views and clicks and ratings. So teams from larger markets or with larger fan bases 
kind of maintain more relevance. So like the Dallas Cowboys, not only are they in a huge city, but there's a lot of just random Cowboy fans around the entire country. So the Cowboys are going to maintain relevance because ESPN wants to talk about them because the more they talk about them, the more people are going to watch ESPN. So it fits their thing. Mm -hmm. So for the rest of us, they seem seem more relevant. So I think that the unearned relevance are things that will just never go away until something with that particular setup changes. You could also become more relevant through play and through being good for a sustained period of time. Like people are still talking about the New England Patriots all the time and no offense, but y'all suck. And like, mm-hmm. there's no real reason we talk about the Patriots so much this year. You're going to be like 10 and seven at best probably and not win the division, but because of the six Super Bowls or however many over the last few years and Belichick is so great. You know, there's interest still in the Patriots, even if they're not going to be as good as they have been. So they're still very relevant. Okay. Um, and then the Jaguars are going to be bad, but they're going to be relevant because they got the first overall pick and they brought in Urban Meyer and they signed Tim Tebow. So they're going to get some relevance as well, but they're not going to be good. So, yeah, I think it could be relevant and bad, relevant and good because relevance tends to come from the people who want to talk about you on TV. So would you consider like this is an example that I wondered. I, I wondered about them in, in terms of a delusional fan base, but like the University of Miami in football. Um, obviously they went through a period of sustained relevance, but I don't consider them relevant anymore. And they certainly haven't been good in the last, what, how long has it been? I mean, they won a national title in 2002. Was that the last time they won a national title? Like, that's an example I was wondering about. Like, do you feel like they're relevant anymore? Like, I guess by your definition, Notre Dame would be considered relevant, even if they don't win a national title and don't make, you know, the, the goals that you're setting out for, but they're still relevant because they clearly make the playoff because they move needles in terms of ratings and clicks and all that stuff. So what's interesting is that college football relevance is a little bit different because the biggest, the, so the biggest fan bases in college football, as far as they can estimate are Michigan, Ohio state, and Penn state. And, but those aren't the teams that tend to do a lot of the winning aside from Ohio state, which is Ohio state gets so much coverage. But the sport in general gets a lot of coverage. So, like, for college football, I'm a Michigan fan. If ESPN has a story on about UCLA versus Washington State, I'm still going to watch it, right, because it's for the sport. So, in college football, the teams that tend to be the most relevant are also the teams that do the most winning because there, in college football, the fans of the sport will watch coverage of the sport, not just their teams. And therefore, it's the teams that are winning that have the best stories or the best players. So the most relevant teams will rotate in college football a lot more than they'll rotate in the NFL. So okay. college football is Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, Oklahoma. They're going to be the most relevant teams. And if they one of them falls off, they won't be relevant anymore. If Alabama goes 5-7 and seven for two straight years and gets replaced by LSU, LSU will move in to that relevant spot. So what are some teams outside of college football that you would consider relevant, whether unearned, like unearned relevance how about that i think you named the cowboys so i think we could take them out because i think that one feels a little obvious but there's some that might surprise people yeah so teams that i think have unearned have unearned relevance i'm going around the nfl real quick i gotta say i think the denver broncos get a lot of coverage for yeah i mean because elway won in like the late nineties. And then they had Peyton Manning win like 10 years ago, not even 10 years ago, but it just feels like they get a lot of coverage and a lot of, a lot of print. And like, nobody cares about the Broncos. Like literally people only care about the Broncos. If they're winning, the Broncos come up on, on like your team's schedule. You don't care. Nobody's going to Colorado to see the Broncos. Like nobody on their team matters right now, really. So to me, the Broncos are a team that are, um, uh, 
get treated with a lot of relevance that just really don't matter. Who's somebody on your list? What about the Raiders? <sighs> is that is that I, tough? Because they they still seem like I don't know. I, like there's something about it. Like when they're on your schedule, people seem to care, but yet they haven't felt like they haven't been good for a while. Uh, so I think, and I I struggle with that one. Yeah, I think the Raiders get triggered with relevance for reasons that are outside of act, their actual play. So like they signed John Gruden to a ten million dollar a year deal, so that's relevant. They moved to Las Vegas, so that's relevant. But like nobody's like, oh yeah, they're the way Josh Jacobs runs the ball is relevant. Like nobody cares about the Raiders on the field. They got rid of Amari Cooper and Khalil Mack and literally have done nothing. So their relevance are for like off field sort of things, which makes sense for them because they're known for like bringing in anybody no matter what their their arrest record or anything is um we, we were just talking about mark davis's hair like they're relevant for reasons that have nothing to do with football but i still think that's earned relevance but that will that will run out like if they don't start winning here shortly they will just completely fall by the fall by the wayside yeah i would even i mean you could even make the argument that the browns are i mean yes they're they're better but like they clearly were they relevant because they were so bad? I think I do not think the Browns are actually that relevant. I think that this is I think this is a misconception based on how little they were talked about before. And they're talked about a lot more now because they're a lot better now, but I don't actually think they're that relevant. I think that if they were to be bad again, they would stop being spoken about after this year where they're like, How come they were so bad? That was shocking. And going into next year, nobody would talk about them again. I um I don't think the Browns are actually that relevant. I just think they're a team that's getting better at football. They get the right amount of coverage that they should be getting for a team that should probably win 11 or 12 games this year. That makes sense. Uh, would you say, like, what sport do you think rele- Like, do you think that relevance means the least? It means the least the NHL. That's what I was yeah. going to say, too. Yeah, and the NHL, they, nobody cares. Like, just go win. Like, um... You know, the thing too is, especially in the in the United States, like coverage of hockey, like you can't just be like, oh, this team's got such a huge fan base, so we're going to focus our attention on them, right? Majority of the hockey fans, just in college football, care about what's actually happening in the league. So it's definitely the NHL for where relevance matters the least. Uh, baseball, where it matters the most. Really? You think baseball yeah. is where it matters the most? Yes, especially because they lack a salary cap, so they run together. So the teams that are most relevant in the biggest cities have the biggest budgets and get the biggest payrolls and win the most games. Boston, New York, Los Angeles, Anaheim. But Anaheim doesn't really win, but they have Trout and Otani. Yeah, baseball for sure is where it matters the most because your relevance almost literally directly translates to your ability to bring in talent. But yet, yeah, that's, and I, I think I'd agree there. But I guess I was thinking like where baseball seems to have almost become like a regional sport now it doesn't feel as national as it as it used to like i i would contend that football is probably the national sport right now oh yeah for sure yeah without question and but yet i I guess you're right in that regard where the the relevancy aka the media dollars brings in revenue which means that these teams that's why teams like the padres are outliers because technically speaking they shouldn't be allowed they shouldn't be able to, to sign all these guys that they're they're bringing on but their sustained success is probably less likely than Boston, New York, LA, you know, cities like that because they're going to continue to have those large TV revenues. So I guess you're right about that. I never thought about baseball in that regard because it's changed so much in terms of fandom. Yeah, and the thing is baseball, so like European soccer, the best teams have like the the highest ratings, the best, the ability to go sign the absolute best players, and so they remain relevant. Baseball is the same thing. The Yankees and Red Sox remain relevant 
because they sign the best players. Even if Mookie Betts leaves the Red Sox, where's he going? He's not going to the Royals. They can't afford him. Of course, he's going to the Dodgers, right? And so the best the best teams have the most money in baseball, whereas in hockey, that is not the case. That's a good point. So speak to hone in on baseball and hockey. Do you feel like they are the two sports that maybe are in most jeopardy of caving to, compared to the other sports? Uh, mainly baseball because it's, even though the relevancy dictates where players go, it hasn't, the game really hasn't changed in a way that's bringing on younger fans. And obviously hockey in general uh, doesn't have the same fan base as it does you know, in Canada or even in other countries or whatever. So do you think either of those has any, is in any danger of folding or do you think it just sort of sustains and they just aren't as at the same level as the other leagues are? So folding, absolutely not. I think the four major North American sports, actually five, MLS is never going anywhere either, are never going to fold. What these sports could use, though, is some major changes in order to maximize their money or reduce their spending. So the NHL right now has... I can't count off my head, like seven teams in Canada and 24 teams in the United States. And there might come a time where they have to make that even. They mm -hmm. might need to take away like seven American teams and put them into smaller Canadian markets, but like more passionate markets within Canada. Like if you take away the Dallas Stars, which is a major American city, but you and you put them in Hamilton, you know, is that actually better for the league or not? It, it might come to a point like that. For baseball, Baseball sucks for a whole lot of reasons, but part of the reason that baseball sucks the most is its structure. They mm -hmm. play too many games, and because of the number of games they play, they have to play way too many shitty players. Like, the fourth and fifth pitchers on Major League staffs are not Major League quality pitchers, by and large. I agree. Unless they're on the best teams, but they need to play because they play so many games. If baseball played once a week like football, and every game was always your ace pitcher the game would be so much better, so much more exciting. And they may have to go to something similar to that, playing twice a week, reduce the number of games, playing two seasons in one calendar year, like Mexican soccer, mm -hmm. and then, but playing much many fewer games, but two separate seasons. You know, they might need to be looking at doing something like that to really line up with how, where, where fans are going, but they'll never, they'll never go anywhere. I mean, baseball will always have enough fans to sustain it in some form. And is baseball the whitest sport in America? <laughs> no, that's probably still hockey. Okay. I was um, thinking about it from like the fan base. Like it seems like the fan base is probably old, older and like, the, I feel like the younger people that watch baseball are like me because young kids don't have the, the, the attention span to watch a three and a half hour game. Well, it's hard to say because you and I are the same age. So you were only 21 when the Red Sox finally broke through or won the first time, right? Been very dark. Yes. Yeah. Right. So effectively for most of your life, like as a Red Sox fan, you have the we're never going to win. You know, so when you're three years old, you got the Buckner situation. So that becomes a lore. Right. And so then when you're 20, you have the giving up the three nothing series lead to the to the Yankees. And then you finally bust through. You're going to watch baseball forever because you have so much amazing history connected to your fandom. Right. The Kansas City Royals don't. That's true. Right? Like if you're if you're the Pittsburgh Pirates, like a young person in Pittsburgh doesn't care about the Pirates. You got the Penguins ripping Stanley Cups. You got the Steelers winning Super Bowls. What do they care about the Pirates playing 162 games and losing 80 percent of them? That's true. Now, could how would you how do you feel about the argument that in hockey, basketball, and baseball that 
there are too many games in the regular season and thus most of the games are almost irrelevant because of that do you think that that's true yes but it's true for different reasons and different ex and to different extents so in baseball there's just way too many games so each game is actually kind of worthless um which is why like nobody pays attention really until september like yeah when the game's like really 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 like each game can actually really start to matter um and then also because they play so many games in the regular season the playoffs are so comparatively shorter mm -hmm. the champions of baseball are actually kind of a joke what they baseball would be better off just not having a playoff and just balancing the schedule whoever has the best record at the end is declared the champion they just do because the bcs play, uh, or or just like the, the premier league in england right because they play oh, yeah. so many games um you know they don't need they don't need a tournament format at the end because they can't they can't balance the number right for hockey and basketball the number of games you know determines things like you want to rest your star players sometimes uh you know because you don't want everybody to play a full 82 game schedule so then fans you know the lakers come to washington and i'm like oh let's go see lebron but then he's you know um sitting out just to get rest and it makes sense but i'm like well i wanted to come see lebron not kyle kuzma right mm -hmm. so that leads to some different problems so i think 82 games is a perfectly fine uh length for regular season schedule i think that hockey and basketball would benefit from moving when their leagues start that's true. they should each start around christmas have the start of their leagues coincide with the nfl playoffs the sort of middle part be march madness and then like dominate a lot of the summer with baseball stop trying to compete against the nfl in the fall because you're never going to win that's a good point. Uh, if the NBA started on Christmas, which is their day now, um, I mean, that, that would actually be a pretty fantastic idea. I mean, everybody's going to watch on Christmas Day anyway. So if you make it the first game of the season, you can still stack the uh, the matchups to have prime, you know, premier matchups in the first game of the season. And I think you still get the ratings boost, but you kind of shift things a little bit over. Um, because I, I feel like if basketball and hockey compete with baseball, they're going to be just fine. Because like the people who want to watch hockey are going to want to are going to watch hockey. If you have a choice between the NBA playoffs and a regular season baseball game, you're totally going to choose the NBA playoffs, right? Well, the other thing, too, is that just when you think about sports fans in general, there's only so much time that we have to mm -hmm. be able to do things. And so, like, for me, when I have to tell Megan, like, hey, I'm locked in on Sundays for football, like Sunday at one o'clock, like I'm home watching football. Sorry. Like. I can't then be like, oh, by the way, also Thursday night, I've got to watch Pistons Wizards. You know, like that that's not going to work. And so if I have to pick, I'm going to pick my football and I'm not going to pick the other stuff. So, yeah, they should not be competing with football. There's just not enough time for sports fans to give. And football will always win out in that competition. So a little personal question. Is it easier to make the argument to be locked into football because it's only, you know, a finite amount of time like you're 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 giving up uh like one day a week let's say if you're gonna do sundays whereas if you want to watch like all your baseball games it's like uh babe there's like seven games on this week that i gotta watch so uh i'll see you next week so first of all for me it's two days a week because i gotta watch my college That's, uh, well, you well. know what i mean like it's a, yeah. it's like it's a finite amount of weekends uh during the winter mostly the fall and winter anyway when you're not necessarily out and about going to like yeah. the beach or pool parties or some crap like that so yeah. is it an easier sell to watch football because it's only that finite time of the week and she gets the rest of the time i don't think it's an easy sell if if two people in a relationship aren't both into the sport but i think baseball is actually a much harder sell not because of the sheer number of games but because the number of games makes each game less important yeah so it's hard to be like 
I can be like, I have to watch Michigan Rutgers. There's only 12 games a year. It's hard to be like, I have to watch Tigers Pirates. There's only 162 games a year. You know, I think that, you know, need to watch every baseball playoff game could be a, the same thing as watching a football. But because there's so few games, that's what makes it um, a much easier easier argument to have. But for, for me personally, this is an argument I can win only because it's clear how much I love football and football is like my number one thing um, that, I'm, that I'm able to win. If I was only like a casual football person, mm-hmm. I, I would be in a lot of trouble. That's, so. no, that's a good point. That's a good point. And actually for me, because the regular seasons are so long, like if I want to catch a, a hockey game and it just is on a, with background noise, that's an easier sell. Baseball, baseball is hard to watch sometimes on, on TV, depending. I mean, I like watching it, but I've always, I grew up playing baseball. I grew up watching it. So it's not that hard of a sell for me, but like, I don't need to watch every time the Red Sox and Yankees play like, oh, it's a big series. It's May. Like, who cares? Um, but I like going back to the argument that if a team misses the playoffs by one game, if they lost on opening day, don't blame that you blew the lead on the last game of the season. Be like, if we hadn't blown that damn lead on opening day, like billions of years ago, I think we would have made the playoffs. Um, totally good stuff. So we'll end um, on the NFL. There's a few things that happen, I guess. But um, so are you up to speed on this Julio Jones uh, situation from I think it was yesterday? Uh, so all I know is that he basically told Shannon Sharp that he's definitely been Atlanta because th- the Falcons aren't going to be good and he's old and he wants to win. And then I saw a bunch of teams trying to come out trying to recruit him. I saw AJ Brown saying that he'd give up number 11. DeAndre Hopkins made an Instagram post trying to get him to Arizona. There's another one I can't remember. But yeah, teams are definitely in after him for sure. Do you think... Uh, we don't know. I mean, and I, I have to say that I assumed that Julio was in on it, that Shannon told him what he was going to do um, because it was on live TV. And I want to say it was on first take, but I know that's not what Fox calls it. I have no idea what it's called. On it's, Fox. it's called Undisputed. Yeah. And I said it's basically the same premise. But uh, Shannon called him while they were live and, and asked him uh, about it. And that's when Julio said it. Now, I am under the assumption that Julio was in on it because I'd like to think that um, – he would answer he would not answer in that kind of a way unless he knew that he was going to be live on tv and he knew that shannon was going to ask him that but if that's not the case and shannon called him thinking that it was a personal conversation that ended up being live on air do you think that shannon sharp has some like journalistic responsibility to kind of let him know or do you not care yeah no you have to you have to let him know that he's live on air and the reason is that you know they're the brand of these athletes is worth so much money like what if shannon sharp and julio jones have an inside joke between the two of them that is definitely problematic but like it's a thing that they say to each other and whatever and it's okay like and then so shannon calls him and he answers the phone with like throwing out some sort of slur that like they call each other because they think it's funny but now yeah. it's out over the air and mm-hmm. like all of a sudden he's losing all of his endorsements and all this and all this prestige like no you can't you can't just, I mean, I think it's wrong to put a normal person on speakerphone without them knowing, let alone you can't just put Julio Jones on broadcast and not let him know he's on broadcast like that. Not only is it journalistic integrity, I think it's just human decency and common sense, especially if it's somebody that's a friend. I agree. And uh, it, it kind of puts Julio in a, in a weird spot now because it's it's fine if he says that in his private life, you know, they're, they're talking to his friends or whatever. I mean, he he's an employee. He can be disgruntled and he can want to leave. There's nothing wrong with that. But the way it happened, I would I would hope 
that he was in on it and he planned to do that because that's the only way that it seems appropriate i mean yeah he wants to leave and all that but i didn't know what you thought about that i i wondered if you'd go the the other opposite direction and be like yeah i don't really care but uh i'm glad we're on the same page on that because it'd be like anybody who calls you like if your wife calls you in you're at work and you answer on speaker and like all your uh you know co-workers are nearby and she starts you know calling you you know pet names and stuff and you're like uh no 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 um so there was that but i wanted to ask you one thing and we can go as long as you want on this um gam for on gambling sports so yes uh, over the weekend phil mickelson won uh a the pga at age 50 and there was a lot of talk about um you know people that had placed bets on him to win and, and how much they placed and how much they won but i wanted to ask you because i know you're somebody who likes to do that uh, we don't really talk about the ins and outs of what you do on the show because you know that people need to make their own decisions it's their money and we're not here to dictate any of that but in your mind what is the most difficult sport to gamble on and is it different be you know because i know there's many ways that you can gamble on different sports but mm -hmm. of the ones that is there one that you completely avoid because it's just it's so difficult to to know anything about it that your success rate is really low okay so that's a that's a very loaded question and you're right so first of all i will say that i don't avoid any sports but there are some sports that i know going into it my odds of winning are a lot lower but i like to do it because it's fun so think about that as like going to the casino playing roulette or blackjack like you know you're not going to win but you might mm -hmm. enjoy it so you do it because it's because it's fun and that sport would be game lines in the nfl so nfl okay. point spreads nfl over unders and the reason for that is you have to understand sort of how the lines work and how they're made. So uh, a line, and so we'll use a point spread uh, for this. Uh, a point spread is a living, breathing thing that is controlled by computers, controlled by people. And so a book will put out initial lines. So Patriots Lions will say that the Patriots are a seven point favorite over the Lions. That's what their computer model spits out. So they put that out to the public. Well, the goal of the book is to get 50.1% of the bet on one side, 49.9% on the other side, and then just win their 5% juice. They don't care who wins the game, who wins mm -hmm. the bet. They just want to take their 5% on every game and make a fortune. So let's say that we make it Patriots minus seven against the Lions, seven point favor against the Lions. And the public looks at it and they're like, oh, that's not enough at all. The Lions are so terrible. They're at Foxborough. This is a, this is such a joke. So everybody starts betting the Patriots. Well, the line will start to move to seven and a half and then to eight. And it'll move as high as it needs to to where people start thinking, oh, that's not right. We should be betting on the Lions. So the money start coming in, starts coming out of the Lions. Well, the more people you have betting, basically putting their money where their mouth is, the more efficient the line is going to become. So because the NFL is so popular and there's so few teams and it's played so infrequently and it's easy for a casual person to get a lot of information about it, they have the most efficient lines. Therefore, they're the hardest to beat. Okay. So even though I love the NFL the most and I know the NFL the most, it's the one I'm going to bet the least game to game because their lines are the best. The opposite would be sports that the public doesn't know as much about, doesn't bet as much, and so the lines don't move as much, and so the mm -hmm. lines are not as efficient. And the best sport, in my opinion, to bet is the WNBA. Really? Yes. Because there's enough games, there's enough data out there 
to learn about because you can just put basically your NBA stats into WNBA. It's the same game. So mm-hmm. you can look at team pace and all that points per possession. You can look at all that information. But the thing is, because there's not as much interest in it, let's say that a bad line gets released. You know, there's not going to be millions of people glomming onto it immediately because they can immediately recognize that it's a bad line. And then the games are played every single day during the season, so it comes up more often. So if you are really looking for uh, a, a sport to bet on, like the games, to, like and you're like, I really want to like make money doing this, the WNBA is towards the better end of it. To be honest, you're probably still not going to make money doing it. That requires a lot of skill and a lot of work, but you'll have a better chance of, of losing more slowly doing it for for the WNBA that's interesting I never would have thought of the WNBA in that regard because again to your point it's not something that's in my conscious because it's not something that I follow and so I guess you're right so it sounds like because the NFL is so followed and has such a huge following it's really difficult to gauge you know where things are what is really the truth in Vegas because people are putting their money kind of in both directions and so you have to uh, you have to take it's more of a risk, but yet you find it fun because you like watching the NFL, I assume. So you're willing to take a little bit more of a risk, you know, knowing knowing things are more efficient. Right. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah. So and the thing is, I don't bet I don't bet NFL that much because it's more efficient um, and I'm much better at spotting college football lines that are off when they're first released anyways, because I actually know the Big Ten Conference better than I know anything Big Ten Conference for football. And so I can see, oh, Indiana's a four-point favorite over Northwestern. That should be seven. Like, I can see that right away. The NFL, though, the initial line is usually pretty good. Like, you don't see a huge swing in the line from when it opens till when it closes because it's efficient from the start. Mm -hmm. So, however, if you do want to bet on the NFL, the thing to bet is not game lines. It's to bet futures. Okay. If future bets in the NFL, future bets in all markets are good because they're, they're low limits. So it's not a super liquid market. So the the um the books don't really care that much about it. And so then they will also like release vastly different lines at different books. So like at one book right now, or very recently, you could get Matt Stafford at 25 to 1 to be MVP. And at the other book, you get Matt Stafford at 33 to 1 to be the MVP. So the 33 to 1 bet's a good bet, anyways, just because of how it compares to the other book. You will okay. never find that on like an individual game. So betting future markets um, can be good. And then related to that, so futures are like, who's going to win division? Who's going to Super Bowl? Who's going to win Offensive Rookie of the Year? That sort of thing. Um, things that will happen in the future. And then you also have player props, which can be single game things. Like, will uh, will Matt Stafford throw for 301 yards or more in this game, yes or no? Like, those are ones that you can actually have a lot of fun with you have a good chance of getting it right you can look at it and be like that actually seems a little ridiculous they don't change them as much so you can actually bet those they have a bit more success and by success i mean you will lose more slowly mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> at, exactly. at, at, at doing that um yeah you i would say that almost nobody listening should be making bets to try to make money or if you're doing it you have to bet so infrequently you have to you know if you bet every week you won't win you have to really wait till you find something you really really like and then and then go for it i would also say that consider it like a hobby and not a uh, mainstream of income because i think that's really what it is right i mean yes and you're you're obviously doing it because you enjoy it 
but do you ever find yourself and maybe this is personal but do you ever find yourself um sort of getting lost in it where you're chasing or do you have you been doing it enough that you know where your limits are well the thing is most of my wagering on sports isn't done through sports betting it's done through daily fantasy sports um and so but because but because i come from all this from a poker background bankroll management is so important that like I, this is not an issue anymore i've been dealing with bankroll management for man 16 years now so like it's not it's not even a thing when i bet sports i have a unit that i use i make bets in terms of units so one unit 1.25 units stuff like that and a unit is determined by the size of the bankroll so the unit level can change so there are definitely strategies that you can take to manage your bankroll better but no i never i never chase especially in sports betting um because it's really sort of out, out of my control now what i do though is that i don't make a lot of bets that often outside of futures bets i will go six seven weeks without making an nfl bet like okay. i really have to see one that i sort of like and then i'll put two or three units on that one instead of like forcing a one unit bet on a lot of different things and this is not um, including like daily fantasy right like no, you do that, that no. weekly yeah daily fantasy is weekly and that's for a lot more that's for a lot more money and i am up a lifetime quite a bit doing doing that but that's a but that's a game that you play against other players and then the house takes a fee that's more like poker sports betting is a lot more like roulette where like you're not you know the, the people who are able to beat sports betting generally work for the books or you know have to keep a low profile and even they only win 55 percent of the time so is it the chase that gets people into the sports book i mean i get the daily fantasy stuff because i think a lot of people it makes the games there's stakes there's a little bit more enjoyment you know you get watching all of the games but do you think mm -hmm. for the sports book in general it is the chase that gets people because the success rate being 55 percent for the people that are in the know is, yeah. is very low it's no it's not the chase see the thing is is that for for a lot of people i would say for most people sports are fun because you can gamble on them right okay oh uh, imagine imagine a world where like where thanos snaps his fingers and march madness pools are no longer allowed what happens to the ratings for march madness probably thanks no. right exactly so i think that like for me one thing i will always bet i always put one unit on some sort of bet for any sporting event i'm going to like if i'm going to some random washington nationals game because it's fun to go to the ballpark i have to have a bet on the game i also put in like a daily fantasy lineup for it otherwise i really could care less about what's happening on the field the outcome and for baseball i always bet the over so i want to see lots of runs so whatever it is i just bet the over um but with but that keeps me interested in the game otherwise like literally who cares about some june game between the nationals and the braves did you bet on the pga uh no i don't i don't ever really bet golf i play uh daily fantasy for the masters because it's a million dollars up top tournament okay um but even that's only one entry for 20 bucks uh, i did not bet the pga i did not bet phil mickelson and the thing is nobody bet phil mickelson phil mickelson had less than one percent of all the money in vegas bet on him to win that tournament are those hard i mean difficult because you're putting all your i mean you're putting most of your eggs in like one player it's an individual sport so there's not like a there's not a conglomerate of things that could happen for you to be successful well no because first of all you should never be putting all your eggs into anything in betting um which means you have more eggs and then you can also have more baskets like you can bet phil mickelson 
and Brian DeChambeau, Bryson DeChambeau. Like you can bet, you can bet more than once. You just want your bets to sort of make a lot of sense. But you can bet, like I have bets right now on the Washington football team and that New York Giants win that NFC East. Right. Okay. Obviously, only one of them is going to do it, but I have a bet um, both ways. So people could have bet, you know, on like the better players and just thrown 10 bucks on Phil, but they didn't because he had no chance to win. And the thing is, Phil started at like 300 to one. A lot of places had him at 200 to one when the tournament started. And at the odds that he opened at, there's a better chance that the Lions will play the Jets in the Super Bowl this year than Phil Mickelson winning that tournament. So basically what I'm hearing is the people that are the, the, the people that we heard who made it big probably had bets on other places. So their overall winnings were probably closer to even rather than whatever number that they they had on there. Maybe uh, they they definitely weren't even because Phil was it was such a long shot. Well, yeah. And you, should, and you should never be in a position to where winning a bet on a long shot will make you break even. You can be in a position to winning a bet on a favorite makes you break even. Um, okay. So let's say that, like right now, you bet the the Brooklyn Nets to win the NBA the NBA title, and you might be like, okay, if I I don't know the odds offhand, but let's say okay, if I put a hundred dollars on that, I will get two hundred seventy five dollars. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take another hundred seventy five dollars and put it on like the Phoenix Suns and the Utah Jazz and the Philadelphia 76ers. So if the Nets win, you break even. You okay. never want to be in a position to where if you're betting on a long shot, you need that to break even. You are definitely doing it wrong and might even have a problem. So speaking of, uh, I think the Lakers are a seven seed in the West, and yet I think they're favored to win the Western Conference. Like, how does that work? Mm -hmm. Is it, uh, you know? Yeah, so that's because they had a lot of injuries this year. They played a few games with LeBron and AD healthy at the same time. They definitely were sort of tanking on purpose to try to line up there where they were going to be towards towards the end of the year. Um, and again, the regular season is so long that it's not, it's not a by the time you get to the tournament, your seating's not a true reflection of where you've been during the entire season. Okay. So, so yeah, I can see why they're still the favorite because like what's really advantage, right? The Suns would get Game Seven at home. Yeah, like like against LeBron. Like, what does he care? You know, so I can I can see that's the case. Now I don't think the Lakers are going to win the West. I did not bet the Lakers to to win the West. I bet the Suns to win the West, like halfway through the season. Okay. So, yeah, and I got them at thirteen to one to win the West. I think it was thirteen. I don't know. I have so many bets out. Don't quote me on that. But I had I had them to win the West um, earlier in the year. So. Well, um, I think for the listeners, uh, definitely. Take caution when you're getting into the betting game. Certainly, Dave is not giving you any advice on what to do. I think there's a lot of uh, pitfalls that you kind of mentioned or sort of you know talked about in there. So we're definitely talking about it, talking about it for fun, just to you know chew the fat on it. Because I don't know a whole lot about gambling. I'm not a gambler in any sense, really. Um, and I, I enjoy sports without it, but um, I don't know a whole lot about it. And I know you do, so I kind of wanted to ask you because you know the now. Uh, with with sports betting being legal in in more more and more states, uh, they freely talk about it on ESPN. Yep. The lines are part of the game broadcast now, which is so different than it ever used to be. So I think it it entices a lot of people to get involved, and they should know exactly what they're getting into before they start throwing money. Because I've seen people do some really stupid things, um, you know, throwing a thousand bucks at something they don't know anything about, and then they're mad when it doesn't come to fruition. And you're like, that's that that's on you. You've got to do a little bit of homework before you just start throwing, you know, a G here, a G there. Yeah, I would say if if for anybody listening to this, if you really want to start 
sports betting like either an amount of money that is serious to you but always that you can afford if you can't afford to lose it you should never bet it um but maybe a little little bit more the main thing to look at is make sure your bets make sense structurally which means that like they don't work against each other and you can like google because it depends on what you're betting on what sport and how and how to do that so for whatever sport it is you're looking at and the type of bet just look up like that sport and then structured betting like to make sure you do it correctly you don't really want to be working against yourself uh in any way because that just makes it makes it even harder to win anything good stuff well um you know we we made it this far without cleave i think it was pretty good stuff i hope the listeners enjoyed it i certainly did um so it wasn't that bad right i didn't really throw you any curveballs there's stuff we could talk about and um, yeah, yeah yeah no i thought it was great something a little bit interesting in between in the off season it's not as much uh you know juicy content when we're in the regular season mode we can talk about the games we could talk about everything that's happening from week to week but uh in this off season sometimes it's nice to have a little bit of a break so hopefully for the listeners cleve will be back next week um and he can uh <laughs> he can address all of the shots we took at him this week that he was not here to defend himself for which is something he tells me all the time i should be here to defend myself uh <laughs> pe- 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 people should be allowed to defend themselves and i was like sorry buddy um by the way the os- the, the osteoporosis line i had uh, in my head like before i went to sleep last night there was no way i wasn't using it so um i just had to but uh, i had a good time for the listeners uh you can catch us every wednesday or we try to get one every Wednesday. Uh, hopefully next week we'll have some juicy stuff with the Aaron Rodgers, the June 1st deadline. Um, and we're just you know pushing toward minicamp. We're pushing toward the regular season. Just looking forward to it. Um, but definitely check out more of our episodes. You can find us wherever you find your podcasts, like everywhere now. Uh, MattySmedia.com. You can find all of our other shows. My show, Cleve Show, The Manual, uh, and so forth. And, uh, you know, just appreciate everybody's patronage. And, um, Dave, I look forward to talking to you next week. And we'll welcome Cleve back with open and younger arms. All right. Sounds good. See you and the old man next week. All right. Thank you, everybody. Political football is exclusively owned by Dave, Cleve, and Matty Ice and is brought to you by Matty Ice Media.